IABC Ottawa presents a media-style production. The Voice takes listeners inside all corners of the communications, marketing, and creative sectors. It's real-life stories from the ground shakers of Marcom. What can we do to help you take your career to the next level? I'm Tina Barton, and this is The Voice. McDonald. I'm the president and CEO of Big Brothers Big Sisters of Canada. One of my closest friends was a little brother and years ago when I was looking to switch jobs an opportunity came up at Big Brothers of Canada at the time and I had a conversation with him. I realized at that time the incredible impact that his big brother had had on his life and it made me decide to actually throw my name in the hat and go for a job here. I think the thing that gets me out of bed every day is knowing that the programs that we operate make a profound difference not only in the lives of children but also to communities. It's pretty hard not to get excited about an organization that transforms the lives of young people and actually the fabric of Canada. MediaStyle is a progressive, digital-first public affairs agency. Our team are experts at crafting strategy, creating content, and building communities of action, and measuring the results. We're passionate about what we do. We're innovators in social media and interactive design, and we're helping shape the new Canadian media landscape. So come visit our studio in downtown Ottawa. We'll put the coffee on and chat about how we can help you tell your story. Welcome to all the listeners for this episode of The Voice, where we discuss branding and integrating national federations with Bruce MacDonald, CEO of Big Brothers and Big Sisters of Canada. I'm your host, Tina Barton. Preserving unity across the various offices or agencies of national associations is always going to be a challenge, especially in a country as large as Canada. And sometimes it doesn't work to keep offices separate. This episode aims to offer some solutions based on the Big Brothers and Big Sisters experience. Bruce, welcome to the show. Well, thanks very much. Great to be here. You've spent quite some time with Big Brothers and Big Sisters, so why don't you give us a rundown of your roles and what you've accomplished in your time there? Sure. I've been with Big Brothers Big Sisters for almost 19 years now. So during that time, I've had a chance to work on a wide variety of things with the organization, everything from building out brand, trying to unify the brand across the federation, to working on two major strategic plans and having those successfully implemented. Perhaps you could describe the difference between a federation versus an association. In the way we look at federations, they're in a sense the voluntary sector equivalent of a franchise company. Each of those are independently incorporated. They have their own charitable numbers, they have their own boards of directors, their own staff, they raise money independently, and they decide on the menu of mentoring programs to be offered in each of their communities. What ties them together, though, is a linking to an overall uh, organization, uh, brand, and and uh, at the national office level, things like national standards, a national insurance program, all of those things that try and unify us uh, across the country while still reflecting local diversity. So I think that's the federated model. In many association models, you may have different groups and organizations with more of a common profession, more of a common interest that are coming together with not necessarily looking for that full brand alignment. What were the key challenges you've seen facing federations such as Big Brothers and Big Sisters? It's interesting. When you actually look at the historical context, the 
structure of delivery of services that is what we call federations today was really invented at the turn of the century, but we're talking about the last century. It's a very old structure, and I think the biggest challenge that federations face is that that structure is but a vehicle or a delivery system. The biggest challenge is around relevancy, and will those federations look to change and adapt to the changing times. And I think one of the things that we've really had many conversations about inside the Big Brother Big Sister network is, is the standalone independent Big Brother Big Sister agency, that classic federated model, still relevant in today's times? When you look at the changing patterns in Canada with shrinking rural markets and growing urban centers, can small communities with you know support multiple infrastructures that are independent entities? Or does that actual federated model need to change and evolve? And I think first and foremost, looking at relevancy and capacity of Canada to support federated structures is their, is their biggest challenge and also is their mission still relevant today? And have you made any progress in, in answering that question? Absolutely. I think first and foremost, we've created a mindset of openness to the question. And it's funny how in, chari- in, in, in charitable organizations, sometimes the heart overrides the head. People are very passionate about the causes that they support, almost sometimes to the detriment of asking good, solid questions. So in our organization, we've actually gone from 190 independent local units down to 118 local independent units, but in doing so are now serving double the number of children that that 190 was serving. And so whether it's shared services models, whether it's embedding our services inside of other organizations, whether it's co-branding with other entities that are strong in communities, really for us it's been about the mission first and the delivery system second. If we can find ways to provide quality mentoring programs for children, we shouldn't be blocked by only having one delivery system. A renewed federation, one that has flexibility within it, can ensure that those services are still delivered in markets, perhaps in a slightly different way. What advice do you offer federations or associations, if it's applicable to them, who are considering amalgamating like you did with Big Brothers and Big Sisters of Canada? The people inside these organizations need to realize that these are very much internal conversations. And for the most part, it's more important to us than the general public. And that if we can put it in that context and try and separate the passion from some good solid strategy and business thinking, it makes those conversations easier. I think another thing is is that we need to celebrate and honor the endings of stuff. So if a new business model is the best route to go and all the data, all the research, all the thinking is pointing to doing something different, Make sure that that you actually take time to reflect back and say, you know what, what we had here was not bad. In fact, it was great. And let's find a way to permanently honor that contribution, but say it's also time for something new. And I think, you know, just from my own perspective, I think one of the other things is that organizations need to build this kind of thinking on solid strategy a real vision for the future and understanding how that vision will be realized. 
Sometimes that requires us to ask tough and frank questions where the answers might make us a bit uncomfortable because it might push us way outside of our comfort zone, even to the core of the structural foundation of the organization. So I think if you do those three things, you at least get to a place of having a really honest conversation where the mission surfaces and that becomes the primary consideration. What were some of the challenges you encountered in your own amalgamation and how did you address them? I think history was one. So people become um, very close to the organizations that they volunteer for. They they like it the way it is. They like to have um, their say, their influence, their opportunity to contribute. And sometimes when a new unknown is out there, they're not necessarily sure if their role will be the kind of role that they like to have uh, going forward. And so I think that's one thing. I think there was also, as we look back on that experience, sometimes the communication wasn't always the clearest. Given that people are coming from so many different starting points inside of voluntary sector organizations, it's important for regular, clear, and concise communication. Many opportunities, and I, you know, you look back at the time, and over a decade later, social media can play such a role in assisting organizations that now or we didn't have it in the past. To be able to give all the stakeholders, those who are actually going to be asked to make the decision, the best possible information. And I think the final thing is to realize that this kind of fundamental change is difficult and that it takes time. And patience, constant conversation, not being afraid um, to ask tough questions and provide tough answers is all part of the process and it just needs to be built into it. Obviously, messaging consistency is a challenge you have when you have many different offices across the country and especially when you're amalgamating separate entities into one. Because Big Brothers and Big Sisters is pretty close in nature, I imagine, with its mandate, was the communications and messaging integration relatively easy or not? I would say that it was not relatively easy because of the history of the organization allowing local agencies to effectively manage their own brand. So there was a kind of a cerebral buy-in to the idea that brand consistency is good for the entire movement. It was another thing asking people to let go of the logos that they had been using for 15 years or more in their communities. Uh, Fortunately, uh, in this case, I think there was lots of very smart, intelligent people from within the organization, from corporate Canada, branding experts who were all saying the same thing, and that is the collective strength of, of brand unity is far greater than a really uh, dysfunctional, disparate group of people and, and entities all clinging on to things that didn't make sense. We wanted to make sure that if people went from community A to community B and they saw something about Big Brothers Big Sisters, that they automatically identified that it was part of the same organization. The other part that we were asking was that there was no tweaking going on, because tweaking is in fact change. And so we would often say to our own members, Would you put a cowboy hat and boots if you were a McDonald's franchise owner on the Golden Arches? And of course the answer is no. So then we would say, why would you do the same thing or try to do the same thing with the logo and communications messaging of a voluntary sector organization? The same principles apply. And once that mindset was achieved, we were able to move quickly to have a brand uniformity across the country. Now you also did something that I think is special you implemented an online procurement system for ordering marketing materials with a common look and feel. What did this involve? 
Well, for us at the time, it was a bit of leading edge technology, but we realized that uh, our agencies right across the country were ordering locally many of the same things. So we could do a couple of things. One is we could get economies of scale, get them better prices than they were getting locally, and B, ensure that the brand would be reflected in a common way right across the country. So a number of years ago, we set up an online procurement system where the brand elements were retained as consistent across the country. The content was uh, customized to each market so that uh, we could make sure that if there were local sponsors in one community, their logos, uh, messaging about them would appear on the materials while still having an overall brand message that was the same in every every market. So we went from, even in the first year, we went from basically selling about 2,000 pieces of printed materials to our own members in in year one to 100,000 in year two uh, because it was cost effective and it was brand compliant. What advice do you offer organizations that don't intend to amalgamate their offices but certainly need to improve unison between the various offices across the country? There's really three things. Personal taste is secondary and brand should be built on solid strategy. Uh, One of the, the, the challenging things of having so many people involved in voluntary sector organizations is that when they look at a piece of marketing communications, it's effectively art. And everybody has a different reaction to art. So it's important to build an agreement that says, it may not be my personal taste, but it's been constructed to achieve certain objectives, and therefore, I'm not going to tinker with it. I'm going to keep it as is. The second thing is, and I think this is really unique to the voluntary sector, is that we should be resisting the urge to change in the short term. So brands and marketing communications in the charitable and nonprofit sector need to be built with legs. Uh, We simply, for the most part, do not have the financial resources to very quickly change the brand perceptions of organizations. And so we need to be thinking three to five plus years when we change a logo or a brand positioning line that it's going to take that amount of time to sink in with the general public because we don't have the advertising dollars to simply spend our way into the marketplace. The challenge in federated models is an automatic resistance at the local level or not necessarily even resistance, more the natural inclination after three or four years to say, let's do something different. That's just the point that it's taking hold. And the final thing is that success is contagious. And if we can show that having a unified brand attracts more corporate sponsors, more government interest, more foundation grants where our local units benefit, they're more willing to hold the line on changes and ensure that the brand is being used properly. Thanks, Bruce. It's clear you have a lot of experience with this. What's the future for Big Brothers and Big Sisters of Canada? Well, the future is extremely bright. In 2013, the organization celebrated its 100th anniversary, so we're 101 years old. We've gone through 17 years of straight growth, growth being defined in the number of kids we've served. In 1995, we were serving about 9,500 kids a year, and in 2013, that's, that number is up over 42,000 kids a year, and there doesn't appear to be any end in sight. And so I think for an organization like ours, the future is very bright because it's had an openness to questioning, openness to inventing new mentoring programs, and an openness to doing business differently, which I think all organizations need to have. 
Where can people go to learn more about Big Brothers and Big Sisters and how can they connect with your organization? Probably the fastest and easiest way to sim- is to simply go to bigbrothersbigsisters.ca uh, check and look for the local Big Brother Big Sister agency nearest them. Of course, we have uh, presence in Twitter and Facebook and all those great places so that if, if people want to connect with us, there's multiple entry points into the organization. Thanks very much for joining us on the show today, Bruce. That was certainly an episode packed with useful information. Well, thanks very much. It was great to be here. Thanks to all the listeners for tuning in as well. I'm your host, Tina Barton. Connect with me on Twitter at Tina M. Barton. Until next time, take care.